Welcome to the G3 Podcast, a weekly podcast focused on the Christian life where we examine doctrinal and cultural issues that impact God's church. My name is Josh Bice, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy Boilo. Jeremy, how are things in Los Angeles? Going well, brother. Um, busy, but beautiful out here as usual. How's the ATL? Oh man, things are rolling really well here. We've had a really good week. Uh, I'm personally prepping for a big, a big upcoming uh, season of ministry. Uh, headed over to the UK to do a, a church history tour, and so going to be a really good time away. But yet, at the same time, the preparation, the reading, all of it leading up to it is is a bit uh, difficult to juggle with all of the normal you know, responsibilities of ministry. Man, I wanted to go to that. Obviously, I, I'm just stuck in the middle of so much going on here, which is great. But um, how many people ended up signing up for that tour? Well, these tours are intentionally uh, smaller by design. Uh, obviously, we're going to be traveling in, you know, buses from place to place or on trains from place to place. So I, I don't know what I, I, for, I haven't looked at the, the latest or the final numbers, but it's probably going to be right about 50 or 60 people. So it's going to be a really good group. And we're just looking forward to being able to go and walk through various places of church history, of the English Reformation, to be able to stand in places where martyrs gave their lives for the very gospel. So this is going to be just a really encouraging thing. And then on top of this, I'm actually taking my oldest two children with me. So it's going to be a very rewarding trip for the Bice family. Oh, that's so cool. What what place? Because I know you've been to all, if not most of these spots before, haven't you? So what's what are you looking yeah. forward to? Yeah, I think the w- one of the greatest things for me is to actually go to uh, the Martyrs Memorial there in, in Oxford to stand in the places where these men gave their lives and to think about the cost of Reformation, to think about the cost of standing for the gospel. And so, yeah, to be able to stand with my children there and to, to you know, talk about these things. But one of the things that's sort of going to be off the radar that we're going to do is we're going to take our children to the actual burial spot of Charles Spurgeon and to be able to stand there and, and to talk about the, the importance of this preacher in church history and to just show them and to educate them. You know, that's going to be really fun. The Prince of Preachers himself. Yeah, that's right. And speaking of preaching, that's what we want to talk about today. So as we think about the importance of the Christian life, and as we think about what it means to be a Christian, uh, really what we think about when it comes, you know, as far as conversion itself, how we become a Christian, all of this is connected to what we call preaching. So uh, Jeremy, talk to us just for a moment about why you believe that that preaching is essential for the journey of faith. It, it, why is it essential for someone to walk with God and to mature in the faith, to pursue holiness? Yeah, well, I mean, the topic of preaching, obviously, Josh, we're both preachers, and we've we've dedicated our lives to pastoral ministry, but a large component of pastoral ministry is the preaching of the word. It's the weekly opening of scripture and explaining that and applying that to the lives of the people. And I think we should start uh, on this vast topic of preaching where 
the Apostle Paul begins. I mean, we th think of that um, well-known passage when it comes to salvation, uh, Romans chapter 10. And what does he say in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 15, uh, or back in verse 14, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear of Christ without someone preaching? Yeah, absolutely. We, we need the declaration of God's truth. So before we even get to the progress of the Christian life, there's no entrance into the Christian life apart mm -hmm. from the declaration of God's word. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think about Paul, again, uh, to a different place, but to 2 Timothy chapter 3, when he talks about the fact that all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. He goes on down in chapter 4 and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So, and we have to think about the context of what is happening here in 2 Timothy. I mean, Paul is literally about to give his life for the sake of the gospel. His head will be severed from his body in the streets of Rome. He is a prisoner. He's writing to his son in the faith, his, uh, the, his disciple, if you will, Timothy, who's pastoring in a very difficult city, Ephesus. It was full of temple prostitution. It was full of all sorts of cultural sin and, and depravity, human depravity. And yet, what is the last thing that he reminds Timothy of before he leaves and steps across the precipice into eternity as he reminds him, he charges him with preaching? And this has everything to do, though, with what the Word of God is. So if we, if we have a proper understanding of what the Bible is, we understand why that's the last mandate from Paul, is culminating these letters to this young man, preach the word. And so we think about what you just re uh, read in, in 2 Timothy 3, beginning of verse 16, is all scripture is breathed out by God, theonoustos, it's the word of God exhaled, it's, it's God speaking. And so if we understand the sufficiency of Scripture, the nature of Scripture, there's really no other option but to preach. This is the inspired word of God. It's the inerrant word of God without error. It's the authoritative word of God, which means it is the only authority for the Christian. It's the clear word of God, the lucid word of God, which, which is, is uh, essential for daily Christian living. And we can actually understand it. It's not just some strange communication that we need the, the ecclesiastical body to, to parse for us as the Roman Catholic understanding that the simple Christian can't understand the word of God. We need someone else to explain it. Um, it's sufficient. It's unchanging. It's invincible. It's it's everything the Christian needs. So when we start getting a, an understanding, a grasping of the nature of God's word, then it makes perfect sense that the last command of Paul to Timothy here is preach that word, deliver that word to the people. Mm, yeah, that's a really strong word, and that's really encouraging. Now, how would you actually define 
expository preaching, or let's just back up. How would you define preaching itself? Because the New Testament uses a couple of different words, and I don't think that we should, um, when we think about the functionality of the church, we should think about it in different uh, in different ways, if you will. Uh, we should distinguish between the teaching of the word and the preaching of the word. So how would you define preaching? Yeah, well, preaching preaching aside from teaching really calls for a verdict. Uh, preaching demands something from the listener. So it's the taking of the truth that is being taught and really driving it home to the heart of the listener, whether that's in application through exhortation, admonition, encouragement, correction, conviction. It's taking the text, the meaning of the text, but then driving it home to the listener. So it's calling for a verdict in the life of the listener. Really, preaching ought to have the audience, the listener, interacting with the text and and being demanded of them uh, to respond to the text. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the expository dimension, the teaching dimension is the simple explanation. It's the uh, describing the meaning or explaining the meaning of the, the scripture. It's the information. Mm-hmm. But the preaching is driving that home to the life of the listener. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think that when we think about, you know, the difference between Didasco and K. Russo, for instance, this idea of teaching versus preaching is that uh, preaching is sort of what stands on the foundation, if you will, of of teaching. So teaching it provides us the material, it provides us the theology, it provides us uh, all of the component parts of what's happening in that paragraph of scripture, but the actual proclamation of that text involves passion. It involves uh, calling for a verdict. It involves bringing to the the actual heart and the mind of the listener and, and, and calling them to respond to what God is actually saying in his word. So it's more than just saying, here's some information. Would you mind considering it? It is demanding that they actually walk in lockstep with what God communicates to us in his word. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not a, um, a time of sharing where we kind of just put some thoughts out there and say, here, consider this, if you will. No, this is a declaration. And that's the word Keruso. Keruso means to herald. It means to proclaim. And it's the most right. common Greek word in the New Testament for preaching. And you don't have the king's, um, Herald coming to town and, and giving suggestions about the king's edict, right? <laughs> That's right, right. You, you have him coming and saying, thus says the king. Yeah, and, and he actually came with the authority of the one who sent him. Right. So he's delivering this message from the king with the authority of the king, so long as he's quoting verbatim what the king sent him to communicate. So this idea that you're 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 actually up there just giving over information is not enough when it comes to preaching. So I think that there's a place in the life of the church for both teaching and preaching, but we must distinguish between the two. Uh, In other words, when you're uh, on the Lord's Day, for instance, when you're gathered with the church and, and you're worshiping through the Word, there will be elements of teaching, but it must go beyond just teaching. There must be preaching. 
And there is no preaching without teaching. Correct. But there can be teaching without preaching. Correct. Just, just the the communication of of information. Um, preaching really is is that step beyond the teaching, where yeah. where you're now taking that truth. But apart from that preaching, and this is where, uh, as preachers, um, I'm sure you've experienced it. We certainly we we see it. We hear it elsewhere. We don't want to be um, susceptible to it. But but preaching without substance where you see the passion, the emotion, but you're not really saying anything. It wasn't actually grounded upon the truth of God's word without the substance of, of scripture, without the exposition, the explanation of God's word, preaching will never get off the ground. It, it will never take flight. And so as the preacher, um, we need to be building our message purely upon upon the teaching of the word of god which then will give uh, application to the life of the listener yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so when we think about uh preaching we think about historically uh we have theologians and scholars who would make statements like this that the the, that the first mark of an authentic church is biblical preaching so if you if you have everything else but you don't have this one essential mark then it's not really a church. So how would you unpack that statement to someone that's thinking about maybe they're moving to a new city, they're looking for a church, how much of a priority should they put upon the right preaching of the word? Well, yeah, great question. I don't know where your mind goes, but the text that I, I think immediately of is the start of the Christian church in Acts chapter 2, where you have Peter preaching at Pentecost. And what's the result of, of his message? Um, what must we do to be saved? They're, they're crying out, how do we accept this message? How do we embrace this Christ? repent, believe, be baptized. And so we see in Acts chapter 2 that in verse 41, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then you read this, and they, those who were added, now this newly formed church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, breaking of bread and the prayers. They were so committed, almost addicted to certain elements as a church. And what's number one? Preaching, the teaching of the apostles. And so this goes back to what is true worship. John chapter 4, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. The Father wants those to worship him in spirit and in truth. Where does the truth come from? Yeah. Where do we learn truth to even be able to worship God in, in mm-hmm. spirit? Yeah, but there are some people today, Jeremy, that would say things like this. Well, we're looking for a church that's, you know, not so, well, you know, preachy. You know, what would you say to someone that makes a remark like that? I, I, <laughs> I almost wouldn't know where to begin. Um, I, P- Peter says uh, of the young believer like newborn babes, they long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. I mean, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Father, sanctify them in your truth. John 17, 17, your word is truth. What is Christianity? 
apart from the word of God and hungering for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so we so we need preaching. We need preaching. I I I need breakfast in the morning. Yeah. I, I need lunch in the afternoon. I need dinner at night. I need water to stay to stay hydrated and alive. As a Christian, my soul needs the word of God. And one of the great means of grace that God has given to to deliver that word to my soul is the preaching by faithful men who are committed to faithful exposition. Um, that's why in the the command for the church to 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 uh, install elders, to install pastors, they must be able to teach. Right, there must right. be an aptitude and ability. Otherwise, these men are unfit leaders. Why? Because the church in their leadership needs men who will faithfully feed them the word. Okay, so we've established that preaching is necessary. Let's press beyond that necessity of preaching, because I agree we need we need preaching. We need passionate heralding of the truth. But let's press that just a bit more. What is biblical preaching? And what does this genuine preaching of the word look like? Because there are all sorts of styles, right? So there's topical preaching, there's, you know, uh, evangelistic preaching, there's, you know, all sorts of different approaches that people want to bring to the pulpit on a on a week-to-week basis. So how would you describe what is the best definition of biblical preaching. So let's let's talk about expository preaching. Yeah, so uh, there's there's really one simple command for the preacher. Um I have no message and I know you agree with this, brother. We have no message apart from what God says. Amen. Honestly, yeah. my life experience, your life experience just isn't interesting enough or worthy enough to have people coming and sitting under week after week to hear how I've handled life. It just, yeah. it's just no help to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to read a definition of preaching. And this is taken from a textbook on preaching called Biblical Preaching by Haddon Robinson. I want to read this definition and let's just, let's talk about it just briefly. So the, the, uh, the definition is is this. It states, expository preaching is the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, and literary study of a passage in its context, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, and then through the preacher applies to the hearers, end quote. So what would you think about that as a, as a working definition or at least some sort of a foundational approach to preaching? Yeah, that's excellent because it's, it's finding its basis in the text, properly understood within its context, the meaning of the words, and, and working from there to get to our message. Um, apart from the text of Scripture, we have no message. And so if we're looking for anything other than what does the text say and what does the text mean, we're misguided. So expository preaching is simply discovering the meaning of the text and communicating that meaning to our hearers. 
Yeah, so it's a verse-by-verse explanation of the Bible from the context of Scripture, because really you can twist the Bible to say all sorts of things if you're just cherry-picking verses from, you know, random locations in the Bible. So if we're if we're committed to this verse-by-verse approach, what it does is it actually holds us accountable so that we're not going to actually skip the hard text. We're going to deal with the hard text. And then we're going to feed the sheep accordingly. So it's not just our favorite subject or favorite verse or some easy to choose passage. But if we're preaching through Romans and we finish with this climactic, glorious ending in Romans 8, and then we flip the page to Romans 9 and we come to texts like, Jacob I loved, but Esau I have hated, we actually have to deal with those texts. Yeah, it, it keeps us as the preacher from jumping on our hobby horses, so to speak, um, where we just want to talk about what we want to talk about week in and week out. And so we can kind of pick the text that fits our message by being committed to the faithful verse by verse exposition. It means, yeah, we're going to we're going to come to those texts that we know and love very well. But we're going to have to wrestle as well with those more difficult passages of Scripture, which even for us as the preacher, man, we're going to have to wrestle late into the night, figuring what does this mean? What is God saying here? How do I how do I express this and explain this, which is properly um, representing God's word? It it challenges you to get away from your hobby horse of, Mm -hmm. of what you want to talk about in your message. And it really keeps you true to God's message. Yeah, very good. Well, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and we're going to continue to talk about preaching and the necessity of preaching for the life of the Christian. We're going to play a couple of, well, short clips from two very well-known preachers, one John MacArthur and then another John Piper. And so uh, don't go away. Stay with us. We'll be right back. worship the God who is holy. We worship the God who is righteous. We worship the God who pours out his wrath. And at the same time, we bow ourselves in humble adoration because we deserve that wrath too. But he saves us in spite of that. The church of Jesus is redeemed and called to worship God. Therefore, worship matters. This January, we will gather for a very important conference on worship in which we will address important questions like, is God concerned with how we worship Him? As we consider the different ways in which we worship God, from the public reading of Scripture, prayer, the preaching of God's Word, the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, is anything optional? Are we free to rearrange, reinvent, or repackage worship to accommodate cultural trends or the preferences of people. We must not overlook the privilege of worship. Not only does God receive our worship, but as a result, we are changed and transformed as we engage in the worship of our triune God. Look at this. You will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Do you see this? Well, I don't want any of that doctrine stuff. Well, then you you have to go to hell. What we believe will determine 
our eternal destiny, the doctrine, the teaching that we hold to. Why do we study doctrine? Our life depends upon it. Join us this January as we will enjoy fellowship, spiritual growth, and the worship of God at the 2020 G3 Conference. For information and reservations, visit g3conference.com. Jeremy, there's a well-known preacher named Andy Stanley who a number of years ago made an interesting comment. He actually stated that what we've been talking about and describing, he actually called it cheating. He said, guys that preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, he says, that's just cheating. It's cheating because that would be easy, first of all. He says, that isn't how you grow people. He said, no one in the scripture modeled that. There's not one example of that. End quote. It's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. It, it, it's staggering. I don't, I don't know if, if I'm not commissioned to preach the word. Uh, I, Josh, I don't know what my commission is as a preacher. Well, you know, we're not called to entertain people. We're not called to dialogue and to give, you know, psychological sort of evaluations. We're called to preach the word. That's what Paul told Timothy. That's the most important thing we could do. So with that framework, that understanding, let's, let's hear what uh, Dr. John MacArthur says about preaching, and then I just want us to comment briefly on it, if we could. Christian ministry has one clear duty, and that is to bring to people the truth of God revealed in the Scripture by explaining its meaning. The meaning of the Scripture is the revelation from God. I have no other responsibility in my duty to represent the Lord, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ than to explain to you the meaning of His revelation. God has revealed Himself in one book. We are ministers of this one book. In a sense, we are brokers of this one book. We disseminate its truths to people, both to the people who do not know the Lord and to the people who do. The simple instruction of 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the Word, sums up that duty. Well, do you see how he focuses everything back on this one book? This is what we're to do. We are to preach this one book. He's, he's pointing us to the Scriptures, which I think is a, is a tremendous way to model that. And this man has done that for 50 years at Grace Community Church there. So what a wonderful uh, just word of exhortation to those who would preach the Word. We have no other responsibility. Think of the Old Testament prophets. Was Jeremiah called to take God's Word and then to find some interesting and catchy ways to communicate that to Israel. And no, he, he was called to take the word that was delivered to him, stand before the people and say, thus says the Lord. And prophet after prophet after yeah, prophet after prophet right. was commissioned to declare, thus says the Lord. And in fact, some of the greatest indictments against 
the leaders of Israel and the false prophets was that they spoke when God did not speak nor and they ran when God did not send them. We are commissioned to preach yeah. the word. We do not have any other message. There is right. no other responsibility. I love that phrase, what Pastor John just said, no other responsibility. As many men have said it, I don't know who said it originally, we are simply the waiter trying to get the food from the chef to the table without messing it up. That's all the preacher is. Try to get the food from the kitchen to the table. Now, we have so many preachers, I, I use that word v- very loosely there, that are entering pulpits today and they're trying to entertain people. They're trying to dress up in costumes and do this, you know, first person act of the text and all these different things to try to figure out a way to keep the people interested. So I want to hear uh, from John Piper. He preached this sermon a good number of years ago at a conference. I want you to hear what he says about the seriousness of preaching. And then let's just chat about that just briefly. But, But notice what he does. He puts a focus on the seriousness of the responsibility of the one preaching, and he puts it a, a serious approach to those who would hear the preaching of the word as well. So we need preaching, but listen to what he says here, and then we'll talk briefly about it. The death of the Son of God and the damnation of unrepentant human beings are the loudest shouts conceivable under heaven that God is infinitely holy, that sin is infinitely offensive, that wrath is infinitely just, and that grace is infinitely precious, and that the brief little life that you and I live and that everybody in our churches lives is going to issue very quickly either in everlasting joy or everlasting pain. This has got to grip us. There is a weight to this office. Where, brothers, is this weight going to be felt if not from you? Veggie tales? Not in a million years. Radio? Television? Discussion groups, emergent conversations. If not from you in this pulpit, where? God planned for his son to be crucified and for hell to be terrible so that we would have the clearest witnesses possible to what is at stake when we preach. What gives preaching its seriousness is that the mantle of preaching is soaked in the blood of Jesus and singed with the fire of hell. Are you wearing that mantle? It's the mantle that turns talkers into preachers. Yet tragically... Some of the most prominent so-called evangelical voices today diminish the horror of the cross and the horror of hell 
The cross being stripped of its power to bear the punishment that is coming. And hell demythologized into self-dehumanization and social miseries in the world. Oh, that God would raise a generation, many generations, who would see that the world is not overrun with a sense of God's seriousness. There is no excess. Earnestness comes these days rare. Heaven, hell, God, sin, salvation. That's our life, and it doesn't get any weightier than that. And therefore, today, the joy of millions of Christians is paper thin. By the millions, people, including pastors, are amusing themselves to death with DVDs and 107-inch TV screens and games on their cell phones and slapstick worship, while leaders of major world religion write letters to the West like this, quote, the first thing we are calling you to is Islam. It is the religion of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil with hand and tongue and heart. It is the religion of jihad in the way of Allah so that Allah's word and religion reign supreme. And then these spokesmen publicly breathtakingly bless suicide bombers who blow up children in front of falafel shops and call it the way to paradise. And yet, incomprehensibly, incomprehensibly in this Christ-diminishing, soul-destroying age, books, seminars, divinity schools, homiletics teachers are saying to young pastors, lighten up, get funny, do something amusing. To which I want to say, where is the Spirit of Jesus? One of the things from that lengthy clip of John Piper preaching is that I, I take away this idea of the seriousness of the responsibility of the one who would preach the word. And then there's also this dual seriousness because the one who's receiving the word has a responsibility to receive it as well with this idea is that coming very soon is heaven or hell and the judgment of God. And we're all going to have our time to stand before the judgment of God. And so preaching is necessary 
and we must preach rightly. But then there's this idea of if we're going to worship God properly, then at the center of what the church does must be this serious approach, not entertainment, but the serious approach to the preaching of the word. Josh, it's always sobered me when I have seen young men, of which I am one, but young men flippantly cling to the pulpit or yearn for the pulpit and almost uh, see it as a way of, of, of self-advancement um, because we have forgotten precisely that the reality of judgment James told his hearers, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Talk about the the fear of the Lord. I mean, Josh, you and I will have to stand before God and give an account for our lives, period. But then add to that accounting every single soul that has come under the public proclamation of the word of God from our lips. That's a terrifying reality. The, the, preacher, the preacher needs to have a sense of judgment, both of themselves and of their hearers. That how can that not just absolutely decimate the flippancy behind the pulpit? Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about preaching today, and there and there's so many people that just you know, I mean, they they think that they have to entertain, they think that they have to do something to keep the attention. Then you think about a John MacArthur, for instance, who has not been entertaining people, who has not been trying to figure out the next joke to tell from the pulpit each week, but he's been for fifty years explaining and proclaiming the very word of God. So that's the model that would rightly feed people and shepherd hearts and souls in preparation for eternity. Now, Josh, as, as a preacher who's been preaching week in and week out for years, um, I know, and, and many perhaps even listening have struggled with looking at the the project of preaching or the responsibility of preaching as a task to be checked off the box every week. I've got another Sunday. I've got to have another sermon. How have you found, as you have delved the depths of, of God's riches in Scripture, how have you found yourself keeping alive that urgency and that eternal reality week to week, because you've got a deadline, but you're also mining the truths of scripture. How have you found that, that consistency in the experience of God's word as you're entering the pulpit week in and week out? That's a good question. I think that uh, some weeks are more difficult than others, but I think that what's kept me sort of razor sharp and laser focused on this responsibility has been, first of all, listening to good preachers and and then trying to to follow good models. But really, in, in, in just the, the, the ebb and flow of genuine life and ministry, it's standing in front of caskets. And then when I'm standing there in front of a casket of someone that God has placed under my care to shepherd, and then I have to ask myself an honest question, and I try to do this each time, 
just alone, standing in front of that casket without the family there, without anyone else there, when I arrive early before visitation or just the moments before I walk to the pulpit to preach the funeral, I will ask myself, have I been faithful to prepare this individual to meet God? Wow. And that, for me, has helped me probably more than anything else because preaching is not entertainment. It is not trying to figure out ways to win trophies or awards within Baptist circles or evangelical circles or to figure out a way to have your name known among men. It, it, it is absolutely this task of shepherding God's sheep in preparation for eternity. Amen. What a, what a reminder. And so as, as we uh, bring this conversation to a close, I just want to say, in, in light of everything we've talked about, Josh, preaching is a weighty responsibility. Preaching is a terrifying reality for the preacher and the hearer. But, and I think you'll give this a hearty amen of agreement, there is no greater calling than to have the privilege to open up the very words of God and be a mouthpiece in communicating that to his people. When I'm behind the pulpit on a Sunday morning, as Spurgeon says, he he is jealous of no other throne in the in the universe. That's the greatest place to stand, knowing mm-hmm. the weight of responsibility, the fear with which you do it, but the joy of the privilege of being mm-hmm. able to speak God's word. Isn't that true? That is absolutely true. And then the flip that on the the flip side of the coin would be that there should be no greater joy than weekly gathering among the church and with the church to sit under the preaching of the word and to have your souls nourished through the text of scripture. Like it should be the high point, like it transcends college football. It transcends every other thing that you could possibly do. It is the high point of the week. And it's the first day of the week gathered with the people of God under the preaching of the word of God. Amen. Well, look, I'm, I'm looking forward to gathering under that very preaching. G3 Conference and what G3 seeks to accomplish is to put a heavy emphasis on the local church. So the local church should be the high point each week. But I am looking forward to what we are able to do in a conference setting. And so it's a thrill to sit for an entire weekend under the preaching of God's Word. And we would like to invite others to join us this January to gather with us for the G3 conference in January. You can find out information. Uh, again, you can register and you can also find out information about hotels at g3conference.com. We hope to see you with us this January. May God bless and may you have your souls nourished through the right preaching of the word of God. 